0: Capital Retirement Strategies and Cambridge Investment Research are not affiliated.
1: All right, welcome to Plan for Life.
0: Now I am Steve Killiany, and I'm Dave Murray. All Back right. from my vacation that I didn't go on. Well, no, let's. Well, I did take a vacation, but it was horrifically <laughs> bad compared to my original plans. Of you had
1: a working, well, maybe that was okay. before the last podcast. You had that working vacation where you went up to New York and worked for my Daughter, daughter. <laughs> right who's starting her own business or working in her own business. And then you were supposed to go to Puerto Rico. Yes. And we had a few clients who emailed saying, hey, did Dave make it back?
0: <laughs> Dave yeah. didn't make it there. So it's a good thing I'm also interested for fun. Like whenever there's a weather event like these hurricanes, I really follow it. Probably closer than the average person. I'm just kind of interested. So I saw Irma coming along. My vac- I was supposed to leave on the Sunday before Irma hit on in Puerto Rico, Irma hit on a Wednesday, I believe, and I was supposed to leave on the Sunday, mm-hmm. like spending a week there. And I saw it the previous Wednesday as a little blip on the hurricane's baby hurricane. And even then, they were starting to say about where it would probably go. And each day, it got worse and worse. And at the time, you know, at the end of the day, it didn't really. I mean, Puerto Rico lost a lot of power. It wasn't great, right. but they were, of all those islands, they, they really had it the crushed. best. No. They did but at the time, it looked like they were going to, it was a no-brainer not to go. Well, it still would not have been the most enjoyable Do <laughs> you guys, people who were in St. Martin? Have you ever been there before? I don't think I've ever been there. I've been uh, to some Caribbean, art, but it's supposed to be beautiful. There are people, tourists, yeah, who were really getting worried. It was destroyed. Yeah. There was no food. No water. This is as of today. It's like people had trouble getting out. And that was my big fear, but it was pretty much a no-brainer. I'm not really a thrill-seeker. No, you don't, don't want your that. financial planner to be a thrill seeker. I don't
1: think you needed to roll the dice on that one. <laughs>
0: not a no. thrill seeker. You're not
1: going to be one of those storm chasers that drive around trying to catch no, tornadoes. Be a <laughs>
0: storm driver away from person. <laughs> I think that's the smarter approach so, to take. Yeah, so that was basically that. But you and I were talking, which is the reason we decided to do this podcast, about look at these two hurricanes, Harvey mm-hmm. um, and Irma. Right. And how would that... We were just talking about this this incredible bull market, the bull market of the 2009. Market end. You know, as of today, that we're, the day we're doing this, the S&P 500 is on the verge of hitting 2,500. Yep. Last time I checked, it's around, as of today, maybe five points away from 2,500. And March... I just decided to go back and look at March of 2009, right before the stock market really started to go up, I believe the S&P 500 was in the 600s somewhere.
1: You know what? I actually pulled this up here, well, I got March 6th, will you take that? Sure. March 6th, 2009, the S&P 500, 683. 683, and... And here we are today, we're recording this on September the 13th, and as of right now, 2497, nope, down to 2496.
0: Okay. So, <laughs> all right, but you're always looking. So a uh, a bear market is always looking for something bad to make it worse, mm-hmm. and a bull market is always looking for something good. So these hurricanes in a bear market, you know, Houston, uh-huh. Jacksonville, all the all of Florida. Oh, my gosh. It would have made a bad market even worse. Look at all this. Look at all this damage. Look at all this no more jobs, even worse, blah, blah, blah. But in a good market, it's like, wow, since Florida wasn't devastated, devastated, since the entire state wasn't underwater, that wasn't that bad. Right. It was only about 50 billion dollars worth of damage. Not, we got out of that one unscathed.
1: Yeah, it's glass half empty, glass half full. I mean, in a bull market, you're right. The the market, the emotions of everyone will tend to look on things and find the bright side, find the silver lining. Whereas in a bear market, you know <laughs> anything happens it just exacerbates it it makes it a lot that much worse it just
0: tells me we're still in this bull market and uh there's i'm not saying the bull market is going to end but not now
1: yeah and i mean you we played golf with a friend of mine uh recently and the first thing he said to me this morning was how much longer can this go up how much long can it keep going up and it's a fair question yeah and now
0: you know, we've had clients we've we've had clients and and anyone listening to this is like yeah maybe I should just sort of get out now or, and and now is because it's going to go down right well the problem with that is uh yes in your lifetime it's going to go down <laughs> right or maybe it'll start a bear market'll start tomorrow but you certainly don't know when yeah, and and any any inkling, any emotion people have of timing the market is always, it's fair to say, is is always a bad thing.
1: Yeah, and I mean I use this analogy with someone I met with recently where I said, if I was sitting there in 1997 saying, you know what, stock prices are just too high. They're going up too much. I I, I don't see how they can keep going up. And I get out of the market nineteen ninety seven up nineteen ninety eight up nineteen ninety nine up now i 've missed out on all this up at that point i 'm going to say you know what i've missed out on too much I got to get into the market just in time for it to go down for three years in a row right right so that's the the kind of thing where is it justified for the market to keep going up you know we've talked about this with a lot of our clients that PE ratios, that price-to-earnings, is starting to get a little bit stretched. So you're starting to see price-to-earning ratios up in the 20 range when historically they've been 17 to 18. And What that means is the stock prices have risen faster than the earnings of the companies. And that's an expectation that there are good things to come in the future. And maybe they're coming, maybe they're not coming. Um, but this could go on for another two years before having some sort of correction. It, you just don't know. You don't be not know, next
0: week. but there are always certain trends. And you know, we were just talking to one of our clients the other day, and it reminded, going through their portfolio, and it reminded me of just a couple years ago. Maybe it was a year and a half ago, two years ago. You know it better than I do. You follow the stuff a little closer than I do, but... Remember when all the clients was hey, Dave and Steve, why do we have any of our portfolio in international stocks? Yeah. You know, do we really do we I like America. Do we really need to be in these emerging markets? Yeah. There do we why do we have to have anything in that? Right. Where's yeah. the international and emerging markets been lately? Uh, they've been up quite a bit, especially when you talk
1: about emerging markets. By lately yeah, I mean, I mean say over
0: the past 12, 12 to 18 months. months. And emerging
1: markets are probably up 22 23% over the last 12 months.
0: Yeah. And what what used and, to be the the emerging market international well, Hey David Steve, I know you guys, you know, you want some of the portfolio on that. What's now? What's today's international emerging markets? Hey Dave and Steve. Today's hey, what the bonds? Uh, you know, they're right. bonds. It's almost like you're, you're you're investing my some of my money in a checking account. What? What the bonds? Do we really need the bonds? Or right. why? Why do we have that? Well, and and my favorite
1: example um, to give when with bonds is, you know, I tell people think of a bad stock market time. You know most recent people usually think of two thousand and eight the financial crisis you know you know how much did the stock market lose just in two thousand and eight you know lost thirty seven thirty eight percent you know if you look at the whole thing lost fifty six percent oh brutal stock market now, think back in your memory, you know you watch the news all the time, think back to the last brutal bond market you know oh, I, I don't know, I don't really follow the bond market. But I'll tell you when it was. It was in 2013. Didn't get quite the headlines that the stock market sell off, but it was brutal. The bond market, they call this the taper tantrum. I don't know if you remember that, that term. The taper tantrum, this is when the Federal Reserve stopped doing the quantitative easing, stopped doing it. Right. You know, they were tapering, and they say the bond market threw a tantrum. Right, the taper tantrum. The bond market for 2013 was down two and a half percent. That was a brutal sell-off. It was unbelievable. Right. The bond guys were screaming from the hills. Oh my God, we've never seen this since you know 1945. It hasn't happened. Lost two and a half percent. You know that exaggerated story. Well, true story, but that <laughs> my overly dramatic telling of that story. Goes to show you that in bonds, no, you're not making a whole lot of money, but you've got that safety, you've got that security to protect you against the big downturns. And it, this sort of leads us into an old topic that I wanted to bring up again because, you know, I, I think these classic topics are always useful to revisit. And it's something that uh, is called sequence of returns sequence of returns and if you want to you could google this yourself I'll try to put the link down below um, the podcast here if I remember to um, so you can see you know the charts the numbers that I'm talking about but the idea of sequence of returns big picture is that it makes a big difference not just what your average rate of return is right so a lot of people what's the first thing you look at when you're evaluating an investment?
0: average rate of return right over five over 10 over 15 years whatever people
1: say show me the one three five ten lifetime you know i want to see what this fund has done i want to see the returns oh this one's been 10 percent this one's been 12 percent oh it's beaten the index it's lost to the index i mean that's what we're all kind of conditioned to do there and the problem with that is average rates of return can be very deceiving When you're actually taking income off of a portfolio. And what sequence of returns really illustrates well, if you're looking at this and obviously doesn't suit well for a podcast, is showing you how you could be looking at rates of return and the example that I like, this is a 30-year example that shows you from 1975 to 2005 and then it takes those returns and it flips them around. Right? So you've got the same numbers. Right. But instead of nineteen seventy-five to two thousand five, you've got two thousand five going backwards. Okay. Right? Now, all you math people out there are gonna know the average rate of return is the same forwards or backwards. Right. Right. But now you have somebody who's taking money off their portfolio. They're taking a withdrawal, they're adjusting for inflation every year. The person who has negative returns early on in the portfolio, they run out of money. In this example here, looks like after about thirteen years. Right? Just out of money. Okay. Nothing left. In the other example, after thirteen years, this person has you know, they started with two fifty, they're up to six hundred thousand dollars after thirteen years. So remember example one, right. out of money. Example 2, you have 600,000. Right. And this person goes on and they've got over a million dollars by the time they pass away. So same average rate of return. They both in this example got a 6.6% rate of return. You know, it's not a fantastic rate of return, but it's okay. One person ran out of money, the other one didn't. Wow. So you know i think that just goes to show you that you can have these scenarios with rates of return you know we've had really good rates of return these past couple of years that's fantastic that certainly helps portfolios but when we take a look at looking at so the whole reason that i wanted to do this sequence of returns thing when we're talking about the market performing really well recently yeah is We know the market goes in cycles, it does really well, and then it doesn't do well. So what we might have just gone through is the really good part, which might lead us to flat or subpar returns going forward. And if you happen to be that person who's, you know, I'll just say, unlucky enough to retire, start drawing money when you're getting negative or poor returns, you're falling right into that. That example in the sequence of returns. Right.
0: And even worse, you don't even know it. You're basically drawing money off your portfolio. Your portfolio's been going up. You're not really thinking too much about the withdrawal of that money because it's the good times, not Mm -hmm. just for growing your assets, but for withdrawing your assets, obviously. Right. But when things go the opposite way, that's, and they always do at some point, that's when it gets tough. That's why retirement income planning. Yeah, that's why we. It boil a lot of our job boils down to a lot of you out there boil down to the pension, those who have pensions and those who don't. Those who have pensions can look at your sequence of returns and never touch their money. Okay. It doesn't matter if you reverse them. Right. That reversing them thing only matters when you're withdrawing money. Exactly.
1: No, that's a really good point because if I show you the example where you reverse them but you're not taking any money, well. <laughs> You're going to wind up in the exact same place. You don't care if it's 1975 to 2005 or the reverse. It only matters when you're actually taking income. And that's why, you know, when we're planning with people, we draw such a big distinction around whether or not someone's basic expenses are covered by pensions or they're not. You know, if they're not, you've got to plan a little differently than if you have this nice big pension coming in.
0: Yeah. It's another good example of why. All right. We will check back in with you next week. Thanks for listening.